Call Steve Witherup. Calling Steve Witherup. Mobile. Hey. Hey, man. How's it going? I am standing for today's podcast. Why is that? I don't know. Just did it. Is that like some weird opposite protest instead of kneeling? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm uh I am going to be standing for this. I don't know. Remember I think I edited it out last time, but uh ooh, I'm going to say that again cuz I hate that word. I think I edited it out last Ooh. Nope. That's a horrible word. Uh Pete Holmes has that whole bit on that, remember? Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I think I cut it out last time, but um I think sitting down and being hunched makes me run out of breath. So I'm gonna um I'm gonna stand up, which is all of this is riveting. Hmm. What kind of posture do you have right now? What type of chair are you sitting on? Well <laughs> I'm sitting on the floor actually. Are you really? Yes. That's, uh, I don't know the last time I've chosen to do that. Oh, really? That's just not, not ideal. Well, there's a whole thought and movement on not having furniture because it's not how we were designed to, uh, position ourselves. Is that true? Yes. Okay. It's not shocking. Um, but I will tell you that the other day, uh, Chelsea was wanted to clean out her car and vacuum it and stuff. And, um, I was watching the baby and hanging out with Zeke. And so just to be, get some sunshine, we went out in the front yard and I laid a big blanket down and laid on our front, front lawn. Um, after about, I don't know, four minutes, you realize even this grass and dirt, pretty hard still. <laughs> right. I don't know why. In my mind, I was like, it's going to be really soft. It's going to be super comfy. It was not. Yeah, anytime you see a picture or a scene in a movie or whatever with a, uh, a picnic and a blanket out in the middle of a meadow, it just <laughs> looks so soft and welcoming. But nope, still fire ants and hard dirt. <laughs> yeah, it's very hard dirt. So... um See, here's a question I actually haven't asked you in a while, and um, it's usually, it's sometimes a question that I hate because it's, you know, normally like people will, anytime they talk about maybe what they're reading, it's usually just a, not a brag, what's the term? Humble brag? No, like when you flex. Weird flex? Yeah. Yeah. Where you know, it's like, uh, just took a picture and, oh, how did all those books get in the background? You know, cannot tell you how many of those posts there are every single day. Right. But I haven't, like, what are you reading through right now? I haven't asked you that in a while. So, you know, my reading habits and that I'm always in the middle of a lot, you know, like, and right. it's not a noble thing because it's not like I'm some kind of, voracious reader or something. Um, but 
So the books that are on my nightstand right now, um, I'm reading that. I'm still reading that book, uh, The Body Keeps the Score, that I told you about. Um, and I'm rereading uh, Roar's Immortal Diamond. Um, sort of like a, I'm reading that kind of devotionally or whatever, um, just in little chunks. And then, um, so Chris Green's, I think I mentioned it in an email or something to the church, but Chris Green's uh, Sanctifying Interpretation book on the Bible. Um, yeah. He came out with a second edition of it that has a lot of updated stuff to it. Um, so I had, I think I had read it maybe cover to cover, but definitely had referenced it a lot first edition. So I'm kind of going back and reading that cover to cover. Oh, cool. I guess I haven't asked you that question a long time either. What are, what are you reading right now? Um, well, I guess, yeah, probably on the, beside the better, whatever is, um, oh, well, do you know who uh, Aviva Zornberg is or Aviva? I think it's Aviva. Aviva Zornberg. I've heard the she, na- I've heard the name, but I have I've never read anything of hers. She does a lot of she's she's so good, and she does a lot of um, like Old Testament midrashic interpretation and and writing and stuff. And she it's not brand new or whatever, but she came out with a book called. Uh, the particulars of rapture, which is actually a reflection on Exodus. And I'm, I just got that and I'm really excited to read that. Um, and I, and the other one I'm just starting that I'm really excited is it's called spiritual bypassing, which, uh, long story short or whatever. It's basically this, uh, study on how this whole kind of new spiritual, movement a lot of it is just a it's a new facade for not dealing with your problems in a sense but just the facade is now it looks more enlightened yes yeah yeah and yeah yeah so, we've, ta- we've talked about that book a little bit just personally yeah. yeah so but um there's some others i guess i always try to read I, like i i love reading about like hunter gatherers and undisturbed tribes and stuff like that. And there's a really cool book called, uh, don't sleep. There are snakes. And it's about a guy who went to study the language of a, uh, basically a tribe that uh, they've, they've made contact with them, but it's not pretty remote. Yeah. So, so how, I don't know that I, I don't know that I know this either. Do you, when you read scripture, are you, are you in a one book at a time or do you bounce around? Um, normally, normally a book, but then bounce around books. Okay. Yeah. I'm kind of like that too, outside of the gospels. Um, but for whatever reason, well, I think I know what the reason, but I've just been stuck in the Psalms uh, for a couple of months now, um, and have been really enjoying that. You know, when you're when you're going through something, the Psalms read a little bit different, a little more intense, or a little more. I don't know. They land a little bit more. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. So I've been I've been 
enjoying that a lot. Yeah, if you pay attention and let it, it's almost like, you know, if you're listening to songs uh, or specific, uh, um, you know, specific music or literature or whatever it is, it's like if it deals with your present reality, it just it means new things on deeper levels. And that's I mean, all of scripture, of course, has the possibility of that, but specifically the Psalms. Yeah, it's um, it's one where if things are really good, I, I don't get it. It's like being around somebody that's super sullen. It's like this is woof. This is, I, I, it's not landing at all. Um, but then when you are in a tough place, it's like this is meaning a great deal. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of scripture. We've uh we've got Matthew eighteen, the continuation from last week, huh? Yeah, it's the second or the last section or whatever of of that chapter, I guess. Kind of, which really does just piggyback off of off of the portion that we read and talked about last week. So um, there'll probably be a lot of overlap or whatever, but I think it's good. I think there's some some specific things. We bounced around a lot last week, um, but I think this portion will kind of force us to funnel or hone in on on a couple of the specific elements that we talked about. Yeah, it takes like conflict in broad terms and, you know, brings it into a specific thing with forgiveness in particular. So, um, yeah, I'll read... 21 18 21 through the end of the chapter and i'm gonna i'm gonna read it in peterson's paraphrase the message again matthew 18 21 at that point peter got up the nerve to ask master how many times do i forgive a brother or sister who hurts me seven jesus replied seven hardly try 70 times seven the kingdom of god is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, Give me a chance and I'll pay it back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off, erasing the debt. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owned who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested, put him in jail till the debt was paid. When the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, you evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious and put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly what my father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. So here's our our challenge this week. Uh, uh, Two things. One, we're going to be a little bit shorter okay allegedly okay we're going to keep this shorter and then two we're going to 
maintain focus on a, a a little bit more of a narrow a narrow path and i think let's let's hone in on forgiveness because we talked last week about a lot of different things as it pertains to conflict resolution and how you know culture is is handling a lot of this stuff right now and how the church is called to be a unique beautiful example of an alternative way of dealing with conflict and we touched on this but i think it um i think it really deserves a little bit more focus and and the thing that deserves that focus is the idea of forgiveness because one of the main differences that i see like whatever you want to label conflict how people deal with conflict out in popular culture or however you want to say that cancel culture that whole thing versus what i think should be being expressed within the community the church communities is that there is this lost sense of forgiveness in culture at large because what's happening is there is this moral policing where where the end game or the goal doesn't seem to have anything to do with genuine reconciliation or genuine or genuine restoration of of a relationship and so and so it's classic it, classic scapegoating oh my yes and the idea of forgiveness is almost just obsolete and so like what so what does it mean then for so what what's the value or or you know why is this idea of forgiveness so valuable and and what does it mean for us to display its value and to truly embody uh genuine forgiveness yeah because we want retribution you know and and we want to call it justice and and it's it's almost always less than what true justice is. And, and so I don't know, I think, I think this idea of forgiveness is scandalous in every direction. It, it's never, I don't know. I think it gets painted as something that is simple and easy or, you know, is warm. And ultimately I think it's this really profoundly kind of subversive and extremely difficult thing to reckon with. Yes, because because one of the reasons that forgiveness seems difficult, well, no, it, it is difficult. It absolutely is difficult. But one of the thing one of the reasons maybe that it is often ignored or even I don't want to say outdated or old fashioned, but but sometimes but sometimes it is treated that way. But because it's often viewed as a an easy solution to hard problems. It's you know it's so it's almost like it, it's almost viewed as the final step that ends all the conflict instead of actually it's the first step that initiates the path of reconciliation. Yeah. No, you're exactly right, and I mean. This isn't peripheral to Jesus' message. I mean, first of all, this text in and of itself is extremely bold. I mean, 
it's, uh, you know, the end of the parable is this is what your father in heaven's going to do. Um, but you know, when Jesus tells us to pray in the Lord's prayer, that, that little line that we forget is, you know, forgive us as we forgive those who've sinned against us. So it's, it's kind of a conditional thing that we're praying. Like, God, you be faithful to forgive us as we are forgiving the people that are around us and who are harming us. Um, I don't think we really know what we're praying there. No, because it's, it's so much larger than just a simple, you know, Lord, help me to say I'm sorry and accept other people's apologies. Right. You know, it's, it's a way, it, it's a way of being, um, like we are, we are forgiven people called to embody what it means to, to then offer this forgiveness to each other and to all things. Because I think that ultimately, like forgiveness is, like I said, it, it's, it's not, it's not the final step that, that just, that just washes over what led up to the need for forgiveness in a sense, but, but it's an acknowledgement that there is this still obtainable good that we are going to pursue in the midst of this. Do you think that one of the reasons why we're unwilling in some ways to allow forgiveness to be part of our own lives, part of the way that we, uh, you know, won't allow ourselves to scapegoat and do those kind of things. Do you feel like one of the reasons that there's a block there is because we haven't really reckoned with the reality of our own sinfulness, like our own capacity to be, uh, our own capacity for darkness? Um, because let me say it like this. If, if we won't, if sin is always out there and it's in other people, evil people or whatever, there's no level of sympathy that we can have for somebody else who is like, we can't like, we're not able to see the sin that's in them as the, as like a reflection of the sin that's in us, just maybe in greater measure in some part or something. And so if we can't reckon with our own darkness, we can't, give voice to our own ego, our own, you know, dark side, false self kind of thing, then we can't have compassion on people that are also, also have a dark side, also have an ego, also have a false self. Does it, does that make sense? Yes, because it's almost as though we're just waiting for the other person's dark side or whatever to be exposed so we can point it out and write them off sure and as opposed to understanding that they are in a lot of those moments just simply exercising or giving expression to what is present within all of us yeah yeah no that i hadn't thought about it in that way but it makes a lot of sense it's because you know we obviously people who understand that they are forgiven tend to forgive a little bit more easily, 
easily, right? Yeah. And, that, and that's more than just simply the, and the I don't know the classical Christian understanding of that. It's not like, you know, it's 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 deeper than just Jesus paid for my sins, and so, you know, um, the whole thing that that both takes sin too seriously and not seriously enough. It, yeah. 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 And, and I just, yeah, if you don't, if you don't recognize your own, the, the holiest people I know, the people that just have that sense, that aura, that kind of energy behind them that you just know that they walk with God, that they are living at a different frequency, whatever you want to say, are people who very readily, uh, readily and openly talk about their faults. They talk about their evil. Um, you know, Richard Rohr is always talking about the ugliness that lives inside of him, the things that rear their head every single day. And, and because of that are so quick to say, if someone wrongs me, even though I'm still a human being, it still hits me in the same way it hits everyone else. There's such a quicker path to forgive that kind of thing because they are really seeing themselves as they truly are. And, and so when I say, you know, people that take uh, sin too seriously and not seriously enough at the same time, it's like all the total depravity folks, you know, there's nothing good in me. I'm wretched to the core. They, they won't say anything about, you know, original goodness that God created human beings in his image and called us good, very good. There's no, there's no voice given to that. It's all, we're just totally depraved. There's nothing good in us, all that kind of stuff. Um, but then there's this like cheap blanket kind of Jesus covers all of our sin though. And so we continue to live in union with him because of that. And then the path between I'm totally wretched and there's nothing good in me, but Jesus paid it all that path is super quick. It's this transactional one moment kind of a thing. Whereas I think the real path, if you're going to take sin actually seriously, is that like, you know, he that began a good work will be faithful to complete it or whatever. There's going to be a lot of dealing with your own shadow and that's going to be the work of your lifetime, right? Well, yes, because forgiveness, forgiveness, one of the reasons, again, another reason people might not like it is because it's viewed as a shortcut, and it's not a shortcut. Right. Um, it's 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 the acknowledging. Well, let me put it this way: I think to so to love somebody, I think, or not just somebody, but to love anything is to desire for the other's expression of the good, or the you know, or or the the good to be fully expressed in and through the other. Um, and so again, I hate to use this word, but, but what cancel culture or whatever that means, whatever, what's, what that's doing is, is, is placing a roadblock in the other's life. And so it's like, they are done. They are exposed and they are no longer able to achieve this good expression of their identity. But what forgiveness does, it, it's part of loving. It's part of being a loving person because what forgiveness does 
is is offer a continuation of the evolution of the good in the other. It, it doesn't believe that um, good that is within them is fully suffocated by certain choices that are being made, but it also doesn't take it lightly because it does believe in the ability to express the good and it wants for that path to be fully fully achieved i mean as simple as it is it's obviously the central teaching of jesus and uh at least in terms of its popularity and it is simple but if we really are going to do unto others as we would have them do unto us which is you know also central to most major world religions uh we would want to be forgiven. We would want there to be a path available to us for reconciliation, for, you know, a path towards human flourishing in our own lives and in our vocations and that sort of thing. And it's, it's not cheap. I don't know. I, I just know that like all of these, we're we're still speaking broadly because of course we are. It's just what the text is talking about. But I know that the specifics of this are, extremely difficult. Chelsea and I were talking tonight. There's a couple that lives back um, where we graduated high school and this guy's parents that we went to school with were on a motorcycle last week or two weeks ago and a drunk driver hit him and killed both of them instantly. And um, well, the father was in a coma for a while and then died, but uh, they, they had to go appear in court with the guy that did it, that was drunk and killed him. And, uh, so the son and the daughter-in-law went and the guy that was in jail, his wife was there. And when they passed his wife, I guess in the courtroom or in the hallway or something, the guy that killed his parents flipped them off. Like the, the, that, that guy's wife flipped them off in this courthouse. And like, I don't, I don't even know what, forgiveness looks like in that scenario. I don't even know how you could untangle all of the intense emotions that would come up from that. But, you know, it's the whole like, uh, unforgiveness is drinking poison and hoping to hurt someone else kind of thing. If, if whatever the path of healing is going to be for them, it is, it will have to involve forgiving that guy. Yeah. And, you know, and it doesn't mean like when we say, when we say forgiveness opens the door to reconciliation, that doesn't mean that things are restored to, uh, what they once were. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if, if someone's babysitting my kids and they hit them, they're not babysitting them ever right. again. Right. Like, and that's not, that's not just me being a father. That's, that's the reality. And that doesn't exclude forgiveness from that equation. For sure. But, but, but so forgiveness, forgiveness in a sense breaks chains that, you know, bind you to certain circumstances and allow for you to move past that and operate in freedom once again. And that's, and that is so tough. It, it, it's so tough. Like in the situation that you just described, and there's so many others 
like that. You know, you hear these stories all the time about people going and forgiving someone who killed their loved one in prison and things like that. And I mean, my goodness, that's hard. But but part of what that's doing in that moment is freeing that individual to now live, to not be defined by that moment, but to live past it and to find new life expressions that doesn't negate what had occurred, but allows for a life to evolve past it. Yeah. I mean, Jesus on the cross praying, forgive them. They don't know what they, what they're doing. It's, it's this kind of, um, it's having eyes of compassion that are able to say things like that. Like it doesn't mean that in that instance that I mentioned that as if he could, I mean, which he can't, but I'm not going to press charges or I don't want this guy to go to prison for this, but it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to set you free from all of my life's energy, thought, effort, being channeled towards hating you, you know, and just, I don't know. I, I, it's impossible for me to say that having not experienced it, but I do know that it's true. Yeah. It's easy for both of us to, to say that as some abstract truth. And it's, it's extremely difficult to incorporate, to incorporate it into your life. If you're faced with one of and that's an extreme example, of course. You know, it's it's the most extreme. But I, I did want to put at least some flesh onto these things that, you know, these people that have folks that they haven't forgiven, like whether it's sexual abuse or whether it's, um, you know, deep hurts or something as crazy as what I mentioned. Like, it's not, it's not a simple thing. No, and... You know, but but the majority of us, you know, maybe don't necessarily have those extreme examples in our life. But but most of us have these examples, you know, that Jesus spoke to in in this this text where it's, you know, whatever, whatever the equivalent of being forgiven a small or 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 a large debt, but then turning around and treating someone else very differently than the way in which you would have expected yourself to be treated is, you know, those, those types of situations are present in, in all of our lives. Yeah. And it's, and it's, um, what I love about this story or this parable is that it's not even so much what, what you think about, uh, someone who, I don't know, it's not something that's exclusively, lives in, in your brain, the way you think about someone or whatever, but it's the way that you live in light of it. Like it's, it's about the way you act towards your neighbor, the people that are in need or the people that harm you. Um, it's, it's an active thing rather than just, Hey, rid yourself of being angry at this person or rid yourself of hating this person. It's like, uh, that may take a long time, but I can, I can act in such a way that, you know, is like a prophetic kind of, uh, reconciliatory thing. Did that last thing make sense? It's not just saying someone's forgiven in your heart, but acting. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I was gonna kind of uh, piggyback off that for a second. Yeah. It's, it's not a magical 
you know, the words I forgive you are powerful, but they're not magical in a sense. Like right. they, also, they also have to be, to be, they need a lived expression. Um, uh, for sure. Yeah. When I, so when I think of, I was thinking earlier, uh, about, about this and, you know, when I think of the hypocrisy, I guess, maybe with when it comes to forgiveness, the thing is just simply this to me, that none of us want to be defined by our worst moments. But but that's what we do to other people. Um, you know, we, we lock them into those moments and don't give them the freedom to evolve past them but my goodness if anyone would ever try to do that to us it's like no you don't understand who i am i'm not that decision i'm not that moment in my life i'm i'm so much more than that yeah yeah and it's it's really hard because you know there are there are people who something comes out about them and it's indicative of a much larger pattern and it does represent you know something of who they are and maybe it does mean that they should not be in a position of power. They shouldn't be, um, doing what they were doing before. But in so many instances, we're looking at one small thing and creating a, you know, Brene Brown always talks about like somebody does something to us or doesn't respond to a text message of ours or, something, whatever, whether it's insignificant or not, says something ugly to us at some point. We, we write a story about that in our head about what, who that person is in light of that. Um, you know, and then we, we begin to hate them. You know, we, we, we harbor that kind of thing for so long. I mean, God, we've talked about it in other podcasts, but you know, there are family riffs that happen over truly nothing, you know, like just some dumb, insignificant thing. And 25 years later, there are two sides of the family that don't talk anymore. You know, in our, in our extended, me and Chelsea's extended family, there's three or four, you know, situations that I can point to where it's like, can, can we all just get in a room and just collectively at the same time say, this is dumb, you know, like, can we be a family? Like you're really not going to go to your mother's funeral because of what, you know, something that's just so ridiculous. Um, and I think those are the instances that we need to really do the most work because all of us have that stuff. Sure. Yeah. And you know, and to your point a little earlier, it's like there, but there are, there are consequences for your bad choices and for sure. And this does not deny that reality but i was i you know i love and I've, I've talked about this before but i love using the you know the adam and eve story for so many different uh foundational uh ways to define you know our humanness but but this one pertains a lot to this and so god brought all the animals to adam to name you know and gave him that task and part of what that meant was understanding what that particular creature was and what that particular creature needed. Um, and so by naming it, it was almost um, giving this understanding or def definition to that creature. And so 
uh, when when the woman was brought to him, he was unable to to name her or define her, and so he was all he was able to offer in the moment of their first encounter was was a poem and not a name, even though he had been practicing and had become very good at um, observing and defining creatures, but he was unable to do that with Eve. Um, she was bigger than than a single name would allow. Um, and so it wasn't until after, you know, the whole fall story that she got her her name. And so what's interesting about that is, you know, the way in which we operate currently is is we would think when we encounter somebody's poor decisions or when we encounter somebody's dark side, we tend to lock them into that. And so, so what we would expect Adam to do in that moment is define her with a name as it pertains to this shadow self that she just gave expression to through the choices that she made with the fruit and the tree and everything that, that happened there. But instead, what Adam did was give her the name Eve, which basically uh, means living or to breathe. And so it's like it's still this freedom that he gave her. Even after that, he refused to lock her in to that moment. He refused to let that moment define her. But but realize in that moment that she is this living, ever evolving creature who needs the freedom and and the um, and the space to continue to evolve past that moment of shadow expression. But there were consequences. It didn't mean that that just wiped that all away. There were consequences. You know, this the whole. Genesis three um, speech that God gives with the pain, the increased pains with the childbirth and the the labor and everything that goes goes along with that. There were consequences, but the forgiveness that was put on display in that moment by Adam refused to lock her into that moment. But part of the reason that Adam was able to do that, or I think probably one of the main reasons Adam was able to do that is because he also witnessed the way in which he himself handled that situation. Right. You know, this wasn't, this wasn't just, uh, this wasn't just her shortcoming that Adam from this, you know, this high seat of authority decides to pardon. I mean, he was as deeply involved with this whole situation as she was. And he recognized that within himself. He heard himself blaming her. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Heard himself do that. And he's just, you know, we're a mess here and we've got a lot of growing up to do. And so let's just go ahead and, and, and allow each other to do that. And let's love each other in a way that desires the good to continue to evolve within us. Yeah. I mean, and how many instances do we have of like in our own stories that you can look back and, say, thank God somebody saw beyond just my shadow, you know, like saw something that was true or um, was able to see to my essence or whatever and see something beyond the way that I was acting. Um, I know I can point to a thousand times, you know, you just, 
you so many i don't know uh yeah one of the one of the best things even you know to simplify it a little bit one of the best things that i can say as a parent to my kids when they're doing something you know com- making extremely poor decisions is just simply something like listen i know that's not who you are you know like be better that's not who you are i i hate when when i respond with how could you mm-hmm. you know, that's the beginning uh response um because we all can and we all do yeah nobody you know it's the scripture it's in probably 25 different places don't think of yourself more highly than you ought like humble yourselves look at yourselves as you really are um that's why Richard Rohr prays for one great humiliation every day. You know, we build these kind of artifices for ourselves that paint us to be heroes. And especially in, you know, talking about things like cancel culture and stuff, that we are these kind of bastions of a moral authority and that we kind of, we've arrived. And just think back to any period in your life five years ago and how dumb you look at yourself as. I don't care what age you're at. Like, oh, I, I, I missed it. I was, you know, oblivious to things then. It's like, okay, well, what that means is five years from now, you're going to also think that about where you are right now. So, you know, operate with some level of humility and recognize your own darkness, recognize your own propensity for evil and, uh, you know, extend the forgiveness that you desperately would want if who you really are ever came to light, you know? Yeah. It's, it's the need to live as a community, a community who understands that they are forgiven. A forgiven person is just, it, it, they have a different spirit in the world. It's like people that, uh, former addicts, you know, like, the way that they engage life, the kind of humility they have, the kind of forgiveness that they are able to extend. If you've, if you've ruined your whole life and you've lied to every person in your world and you've broken every major relationship you've ever been in, and then somehow you come out on the other side of it and you get clean and you make amends with people and you do all the work and you like the way you're going to view the world. If so, that's why I love listening to addicts talk. It's why I love, you know, reading memoirs by addicts and stuff, because there's just this feeling of like, yeah, yeah, that's what people do. People are, people are kind of crappy, you know, like that, that it's just an obvious thing. And so they are able to readily forgive because of how much, you know, they've needed forgiveness over all these years. Yeah. They, they understand the potential that they they yeah they understand the potential to pursue the wrong path absolutely and how tempting and easy it is to to fall to fall into it and and so there is sympathy there there is there isn't a a sense of how could you there's more of a sense of i get it and i understand but you don't have to travel down that path yeah Amen. 
Well, how did we do time-wise? Are we short? I don't know. It feels like it was shorter. I'm going to say that when I finally edit this all down and post it, I'm going to say that we were probably around five minutes, <laughs> like 30, 35, 40 minutes, something like that. We'll see. All the people that are listening to this can, uh, can look at the timestamp of where we're at right now and see how far off we are. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I just, this is, uh, this is, uh, you know, it's weird, man. It's like, there's certain concepts within this faith tradition that just seem, I don't know. They just seem so obvious and so simple that like we have forgotten how vital and powerful they are and how needed they are, especially in the way in which so much of our society is, is expressing life and and forgiveness is just, it's one of those things like it's extremely countercultural. It it is, and how strange is it to say that? Yeah, yeah, it's it's it is a uh, it is certainly a way that we have an opportunity to live differently, you know. Yeah, it's you know not to. I mean, I don't you know I don't care if it sounds like it's saying it too strongly or or emphatically or whatever, but it's like, it is, it's one of those things where it's like this church community, we can display an alternative to what's happening around us. And like, you know, I don't think that, you know, you, you can call it many things, but I don't think anyone would call a, a culture, whether it's cancel culture or whatever, that lacks forgiveness. They wouldn't call it a beautiful expression of life. Yeah, and so it's like, can can we see pockets of a better way of being? Yeah, there's there's nothing that satisfies our egos more than seeing us like someone get scapegoated and punished, and there's nothing more true and good and beautiful than seeing forgiveness and reconciliation displayed. Yeah, and the last thing I guess I would say to this is. One other thing that forgiveness opens the door to sounds so simple, but it's it's uh, it's missing is that we are able to change our minds, you know, and and so like we are able to acknowledge that the way in which we thought about something maybe wasn't the best way to think about it. But instead of being defined by it, it's forgiveness allows for us to change direction in the way in which we now view things. It allows for us to change our minds and to, uh, when we recognize, you know, that we were blinded in certain areas and now acknowledge that forgiveness creates a gate to which we can now operate in a, in, in our new understanding as opposed to just locking us into a previous understanding. Yeah. Amen. I think that says it extremely well. Um, well, I want to, um, do you feel like that's a decent stopping place? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to, I want to just finish with reading the Lord's prayer. Um, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.